We started a series last week, um, just a short three-week series called uh, But God. Um, and we looked at, at the book of Exodus and how um, God led people through some diversions, but God led them. Um, and it's these two words of but God bringing so much hope to so many different situations. It can bring so much hope to your life. And, and tonight, it, this is one of the most hopeful but God's you will, you will possibly ever find in Scripture. Um, and it's in a well-known passage in, in Romans chapter 5. So turn to me there with, with me in Romans chapter 5. And Paul writes this letter to the, the church in Rome. He has no, no past experience with this church. He's never been to this church. He didn't start this. He's never visited them. But he feels on his heart a, an urge to write a letter um, to, this, to this church and to encourage them to live the life of faith and to run the race um, of following Jesus. And so turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. And we're going to read uh, from 6 down to verse 11. And Paul says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would, be, would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But verse 8, this is the one we're going to focus in on. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us whilst we were still sinners. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. Verse 9 says, And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. And this, this portion of scripture, these uh, collection of verses is arguably the most profound um, illustration of the gospel that we will read in, in all of scripture. It, it sort of puts it in such a simple and practical way and just describes exactly of what the, the purpose and the will of God was to send Jesus into the world. But it's this verse 8 that we want to look at, but God demonstrates, if you're reading from the NIV, it will say demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love in this way, that whilst we were sinners, he sent his son and said, this is how I'm going to demonstrate my love. And as people and as, as friends or family, we all have different ways how we like to, we like to demonstrate our love. Um, when, when Kelsey and I were, were about sort of preparing to get married, we looked at this book. I don't know if any of you has heard it, Five Languages of Love. Um, someone has just made a fortune of just making up things that, that we already know. Um, but in the book, he describes these five languages of love, and they are physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, and something else. that Gifts. Flip, that was my one too. Just so you know, mine is gifts, guys. Keep them coming. Um, so when Kelsey and I were, um, look, we didn't read the book. We sort of looked at it like, the, we'll just do the online test. That's easier. Um, and so we, we looked at this online test, and it sort of, it gives you the, your top two of what your um, gift, you, the way that you sort of receive love best. And so mine was, was 
gifts and acts of service. I had a wee cup of tea or something like that there. Um, and so we were, in, we were in the house. I was in the kitchen doing a bit of work. Kelsey was in on the sofa watching TV and sort of, <laughs> it's true, it's true. <laughs> Nothing much changes there. Um, and so I was um, doing a bit of work and Kelsey was like, Davey, come on in here, come on in. So I came in, she's like, give us a hug. I was like, right, okay. So this is one of Kelsey's, it's, she needs a wee hug. So if you see me um, giving her a hug, she just needs a wee bit of love. Um, she needs a wee bit of um, showing that she's loved by people. Um, so I, was, I came in and I went to give her a hug. And then just joking about, now really, this was just a joke. We don't need counseling yet. Um, but we're just, I just decided to joke about it. Kelsey was like, Kelsey, do you know what? That's it. Where's, where's my gifts? What about my, my love languages? Where's my gifts? She's like, oh, I, I got you a gift. And I was like, well, what about the other one? She's like, what about the other one? I was like, well, what is the other one, Kelsey? It's, it's, and she couldn't remember it. I was like, that's it, I'm away, I'm away. And walked out, and as I walked out, I seen her lifting her phone. I was like, don't Google it. <laughs> she went to Google it. So I went to the next room, I was sitting down, I'm doing a bit of work, I sat back at the table, and then she comes skipping in because she knew fine rightly she's got it. I've, I've Googled it and found what it was. And she was like, so would you like a wee cup of tea? Would you kind of make a wee sandwich? Can I bake for you or whatever? Do you know, because I love you and I'll buy you gifts and I'll make stuff for you. I was like, dead on, Kels, dead on. Um, but we all have our own ways in how we like, um, we demonstrate our love best. And sometimes it comes to, whether it's a friend or it's a family member, it's your parents, it's your spouse, it's, it's whatever. We all know almost the best way to, to demonstrate our love to him. So if someone is, is sick or someone's going, you sort of know if one of your friend or family is quite stressed, you'll know, okay, I know what to do for them. I'll get them, I'll buy them a wee massage packet or I'll you know, take them out for lunch or whatever. And we know what's the best way to demonstrate my love to them. And, and we read here in, in Romans, uh, the best way, this is a form, and these are some of the points that, that, that Paul put, points out, is this is how God best demonstrates his love to us. And not only how he best demonstrates his love, but how God best demonstrates himself to us. How God likes to demonstrate, this is who I am. This is how much I love you. This is the power that I want to speak into your life. And, and I'm going to point out a couple of things that we see in God's life, in, in our lives, that God says, this is how I can best demonstrate my life to you, my love to you, my power to you. And the first is in our weakness in our weakness. In verse 6, it says, in my translation, when we were utterly helpless, yours may say when, when we were powerless, when we were weak, when we were without strength. And whatever the word is, it's still pointing to this description of, of the state of humanity, the state of our lives, the state of us. We are utterly helpless, weak, without strength. And, and in terms of the context of the history back then, it just described people. They were weak. We tried. God pr provided a law. This is what you're going to step up. This is what you're going to compete against. And we tried and tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. And it just showed we were humanity, we, humanity Sorry, was utterly weak at this point. We tried and failed and God thought, this is the time for me to step in. This is how I can demonstrate how much I love humanity. They are weak, and so I will step in and show, despite your weakness, I love you. Despite you missing the mark time and time again, I'm going to step in and demonstrate my love to you. And it's a bit like if you have, if you're a parent, you have had kids in here, or, or grandkids, or nieces, or nephews, the best way you love to demonstrate your love is when they need you. When they come to you and be like, oh, mom, can you do this? Dad, can you do this? Granny, can you do this? When they come and need you, love to be able to help. 
They don't come up and say, oh, can you help me with this? No, clear away off. Like, we don't do that, hopefully. Um, but when they come, when young people or some people, children, when they come and they're in need, you, you love that. You love that. And, and we're sort of going through that um, with my sister's kids. They're sort of getting a bit older now, and they don't need us as much. They don't need me or my mom or dad. or They don't need as much. And so you're sort of feeling, oh, I kind of like that when they sort of need you to do some stuff. And, and we see here, this is a, a similar thing in humanity at this time, that humanity is weak and is in desperate need of God. It is weak, hopeless, and desperate need of God. And sometimes I feel like church that we almost think that in order to come to church, in order to be a Christian, you have to be, you have to be strong. We come into church and we put our church faces on. Come on, put their weaknesses behind us. Put that behind us. We are strong. We are strong people. I am okay. How are you doing? Great. My life is fine. Nothing is getting against me. Or if you ever try to say to someone to, about coming to church or have a conversation with someone who doesn't know Jesus about coming to church, about, and they're like, oh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. And it's almost as if you need to be a certain strength. You need to be at a certain type of person to be able to, to become a Christian. But you see, here's the thing, church. God doesn't need our strength. He wants to empower us with his God doesn't need our strength. He wants to empower us with his. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10, Paul is talking about how there is a time in his life when, when he needed and he was praying and asking God, take this away from me. I'm weak. I need, I need your help. And this is what God says. My grace is all you need. My power, listen, my power works best in, in weakness. Paul says, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Listen to this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If you're in here tonight and you're feeling weak and you're feeling great, you're in the perfect position for God to say, great, I can demonstrate my love to you. I can demonstrate my power. I can demonstrate who I am to you. You're weak, great. Because actually in your weakness, my power works best then. My power comes through the most. So you're feeling weak, great. I can step in. This book is, is filled with people who were weak. This book is filled with people who just couldn't do it, who we wouldn't look at and say they're the strong people. But it's in their weakness that God pulled through. It's in their weakness of, of Moses and David and the disciples and all of these people that are weak. It's in their weakness that God says, great, I can demonstrate my love and I can demonstrate my power. And tonight I just want to make a reminder on this point. If you're feeling weak, as I said, great. You're in the perfect position for God to work through you. You're in the perfect position for God to demonstrate his love through you. Whoever you are, God wants to demonstrate his love and his power towards you. The second way that God loves to demonstrate is in our wickedness. In our wickedness. Verse 10 says, talks about us being enemies of God. It says we were sinners. We were enemies of God. That describes who we are. Wicked human beings. From birth, we were born into sin. And Paul then tries to, as he's writing to the Roman church, he tries to make it relatable. He tries to say, okay, we're going to try and put what Jesus, what God done by sending Jesus to the cross, we're going to try and put it in a way that you can relate. So, so he, he writes this in, in verse 7. 
He says, now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for, for a person who is especially good. So we have an upright or a righteous person, and then we have someone who is especially good. And so Paul says, this, this upright, righteous person, this would just be your average Joe. Average Joe walking down the street. He's someone with integrity, someone who is you know, a good person, but you've no relationship with them. You've no relationship or friendship. You've no idea who it is. Most of us would say, I wouldn't, I'm sorry, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't give my life for them person. I wouldn't give my life and sacrifice. But then Paul has this other person, someone who is especially good. And for you and I, that would be, that would be a friend. That would be a family member. That would be a spouse. That would be someone who we have relationship with. Someone who is someone of integrity. Someone who is kind. Someone who is loving. And Paul's saying some, we would, some people might, might die for that person. Some people might give that kind of, their life to that kind of person. And we can sort of relate to that sacrifice a wee bit. And then this is where we see in verse 8, but God demonstrates his love in this, that while we were sinners, while we were wicked, while you and I were at our very worst, God says, that's the time for me to demonstrate my love. That's the time for me to send my son into the world. That's the time to come down onto earth and show these people how much I love them. Wherever you're sitting tonight, I want you to have a think of a time when, when you had done something wrong done something wicked, done something that you betrayed someone, you spoke ill of someone, you did something wrong, but this person came back and loved you and forgave you. Most of us in here are probably thinking of a, of a family member or a friend, of someone that we have relationship with. But here in Romans, it says that while we were sinners, while we were completely against God, that's when he thought, I'm going to send my son into the world. That does not make sense. Does not make sense. God loved us at our worst. And this is the part that, that always gets to me. I don't know if anyone has ever watched um, The Passion of the Christ, but there comes the, the scene at the end where, where the Romans, uh, oh, the soldiers take him and put Jesus on the cross and nail the um, nails into his hands and into his feet. And I just cannot get over the fact that Jesus was hanging on that cross for those specific men. Those people putting the nails in his hands and in his feet. Jesus said, I'm doing this just for you. Even though I know you're going to say no to me, you're a sinner, but I am showing you how much I love you. Even though it doesn't make sense, Isaiah says, his ways are above my ways. And the fact that these people are nailing him to the cross, and Jesus says, I'm doing it because I love you. I am demonstrating my love to you. And again, this, I want to make, us, make a reminder to you tonight that I always used to think that if I was a Christian and I said yes to following Jesus, then do you know what? Satan would have just been like, ah, nearly got them. Ah, nearly got them and walk away and just, um, let's find some other non-Christians to go for here. That doesn't happen. And some of you in here have been a Christian a lot longer than, than me. And you can vouch for that. You can vouch for, oh, he definitely doesn't leave you alone. He keeps coming back and he keeps coming back and he keeps reminding you of your sin and he keeps pointing out your condemnation. He points out all the things you've done wrong, your guilt and your shame. The enemy keeps doing that. And so tonight I want to make this a reminder. If you're in here and you're feeling sin in your life and you're feeling wicked, well, great. Then God is saying, I want to demonstrate my love. Come back to me. Come back to the altar. Come back to the Father. Come back to my Repent and there is no condemnation for you. 
If you're in here tonight, Karen, then, then tonight you need to know that God demonstrated his love in this, that while you were a sinner, he sent Jesus to the cross. He sent his son onto the earth to demonstrate his love. If God sent Jesus into the world while we were still sinners, what will he do with us as sons and daughters? Luke chapter 11, verse 11 to 13, talks about Jesus is speaking to people about prayer, speaking to his disciples about prayer, and he says, most of you earthly fathers, if your, if your son or daughter asked for a, a bit of bread, you wouldn't give them a stone. Or if they asked for an egg, you wouldn't give them, you wouldn't give them a, a snake. And he's, he's saying, so how good is our heavenly father going to be to his sons and daughters? And so if you're in here tonight and you're a son and daughter, then he is not going to look down upon your sin and shame and, and wickedness with condemnation, but he's going to look down and say, with love and say, I have sent my son while you're a sinner. Now you're a son. Now you're a daughter. What will I do for you now? In our wickedness, God sent his son. And the last thing is this. God demonstrates his love in our, in our waiting. Waiting. Verse 6 says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. I feel like sometimes God gets a bit of a hard time for his timing. God gets a bit of a hard time for his timing. And when we look at it in the situations of our lives, we come and we pray and we need God to heal. We need God to open a door. We need God to answer a prayer. We need God to give us an answer. And most of the time, it never happens on our timing, sure it doesn't. We always wait. We always feel like we're waiting. We feel like God's not answering in our right timing. He's either too late, he's not on time, and we're usually left waiting. And verse 6 says, Christ came at just the right time. And so right time is usually associated with readiness. Right time for us is usually associated with when it's the right time is when I'm ready. And so Chippo and I, when we used to hang out, Aaron Graham used to hang out with us and Aaron Graham didn't understand the concept of right time because back then we didn't have phones. How old does that sound? Like Back then we didn't have phones, but we literally didn't. We, um, we, we would have just said, Aaron, you call around to our house. So Aaron and his two brothers would have came to call to your house um, and you would have said, okay, Aaron, at about half six, you come around and call and we'll go out and play football. Sweet, sweet. So quarter past six came and I was like, well, it's not half six yet, so I'm, I don't need to get ready. And then there's Aaron pops up at the door. Aaron, it's, it's quarter past six, 15 minutes. So I used to just, you can just wait outside in the cold for 15 minutes. I'm not coming out yet. Or else if you're going out for, with friends or family to dinner, it's usually the right time when you're, when you're ready, when you get ready. And if you're ever to live with Kelsey, there's no right time for that. You're never ready. <laughs> I'm joking. It's actually me. I'm the one. She's waiting on me. Or if it's, you know, oh, it's time to go to bed is when it, I'm ready to go to bed, when I'm tired and I need to go to sleep. is usually right time is associated with being ready. But look at some of these words that describe just before, that, that describe the right time. This is the right time that God says, I'm going to send Jesus. And look at some of the words that describe the, the timing. Utterly helpless enemies of God. And God said, yep, that's the right time. Utterly helpless enemies of God. And he says, that is the right time. When I read this, I almost picture like up in heaven, you know, God's looking down going, yep, okay, Jesus, I'm going to send you down. And the angel's going, what? They're like Belfast angels, so. <laughs> but they're just going, what? You're sending them down now? 
this is not the timing. This is not the... God, I know you're God and all, but have a think about this. This is not the best timing to send. These are enemies. They're, they're helpless. Do you know what, church? I am so glad God didn't wait until we were ready before he sent Jesus. I'm so glad God didn't wait until we reached the mark, until we got ourselves ready for him. I'm, God, I'm glad that he said, you know what, that's the right time, even though for me it wasn't. I'm going to ask Mark to jump up here as I, as I come to close here. It says, verse, verse 6 talks about the, we were utterly helpless, yet Christ came at just the right time. And see, for me, this is where, for me, I, I decided when I started to read this and understand this, not just this uh, building up to tonight, but actually a while ago in reading this passage and understanding, this is where, for me, church, I, I decided to sacrifice my understanding of thinking I knew better with God when it came to timing. It was this verse that told me, do you know what, David? Just give up when you start to challenge God on his timing. Because it says here that God, at the right time, this was the right time for him to send his one and only son. And so you can almost imagine God that this is a big deal. He's only got one son. He's going to send him into the, the world to, be, to die a sinner's death. He who knew no sin was going to become sin for you and I. And so if God chose this time, which makes absolutely no sense to you and I, then do you know what? With every other timing incident in my life, I'm just going to say, here, God, you take it. Because I doubted you when you sent Jesus. And now I'm so glad that you did it then. Do you know now I'm so glad that it was, it was on your timing? God took a risk sending Jesus then. For me, that's the way it felt. God, you're taking a bit of a risk here. But he knew exactly what he was doing. And I'm so glad he sent them then. Because I was utterly helpless. Utterly helpless when Jesus came into my life. And many of you in here have a testimony and a story of when you were at the lowest of your low. And God reached down and picked you up when you were what? When you were utterly helpless. And this series we've been looking is, is a but God. And before the words, but God, it gives us examples of what men might do. It says a, a man, most people wouldn't want to die for a, for a righteous or upright person. It says some men might be willing to die for someone who is especially good. And so preceding the words, but God, is this idea of what men might do. But God will do what men can't or what men won't do. God will do what you and I will never be able to do. And that for me brings so much comfort that I can trust him, that I know that when God steps in, the situation gets flipped completely upside down. Look at some of the words as I come to close here that we read before the word, but God. Before the word, in whatever translation, you'll see the words of helpless, weak, enemies, sinners. That's what my life and your life was like before God stepped in. Weak, wicked, sinful, enemies, helpless, but God. And read some of the words, church, that comes after that. Made right, friendship, no condemnation, 
rejoicing. That's what God will bring to your life when you let Him in. That's what God will bring to your circumstances when you let Him in. That's what God will do in your weakness, in your wickedness, and in your waiting. He will turn it upside down because that's the character of God. That's what God does. And so when you go into your week this week, remember that if you're feeling weak, great, because He works best in your weakness. His power has worked best in your weakness. You feeling wicked? Come back to the altar. Come back to God. Come back to Him. Because there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. You feel like you're waiting and you're arguing with God. Give it up to Him. Because at just the right time He sent His very own Son into the world and it just flipped this whole world. It flipped you, your life, and it flipped my life. If you're in here and you're struggling with God and you're waiting in something, can I encourage you? Let Him take control. Give it up. Because if Romans 5 verse 8 can teach me anything, is He knows the best time to step in. But God, the most hopeful, encouraging words you will read in all of Scripture, but God demonstrates His love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What hope we have in Him. What hope we have in Him. I'm going to ask the, the band to come up and I'm going to just pray and close and we're going to worship. We're going to worship Him who stepped in at just the right time. We're going to worship Him who despite your weakness will step in and change it all. Despite your weakness still loves you and sent His own Son. We're going to worship Him tonight. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for sending your son. God, would you help us to never take that for granted? Father God, we're sorry if we think, oh, another gospel message. We're sorry if we ever think of that, God. But it is the gospel that saves our, saved our lives. It is you sending your son that allows me to know that my hope is in you. My eternity is written because you sent your son. Thank you, God, that my life is literally transformed because you saved me. God, I thank you that so many lives in here tonight are transformed because you stepped in. And God, I pray would we come in our, in our adoration, in our praise, and in our worship now to glorify you and thank you for that, God, to worship your name. Because at just the right time, you stepped in and demonstrated your love. Thank you for that love, God. Thank you for that love that walks with me. God, we thank you that goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life. Goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life because of your son. We thank you for that. We thank you that we are made friends of God. We thank you we're adopted into the family of God. And we can stand right now, as in your word says, we can rejoice in this new friendship in Jesus' name.